everyone welcome to talking research i am asmita and this is a podcast that features in-depth interviews with prominent academics and researchers who study sexual violence across its different manifestations This conversation features an in-depth discussion of sexual violence, both in specific cases and more generally. If this is something that you find disturbing, please feel free to stop listening at any point. For this episode, I'm joined by Rhea Singh, who is a PhD scholar and a Dalit rights activist, sharing her essential work on combating caste-based sexual violence against Dalit women. As per the National Crime Records Bureau, nearly 10 Dalit women are raped every day in India with the state of Uttar Pradesh recording the highest numbers. Now Dalit women make up half of the nearly 200 million Dalit population in India with 16.3% of the total Indian female population. This very urgent conversation was recorded in the backdrop of increased media attention on a slew of very brutal gang rapes and rapes committed by upper caste men targeting dalit girls specifically in the state of uttar pradesh and we were really lucky to have riya join and share her essential activism on the ground activism and her and her research on caste based atrocities against dalit women if you have any feedback on this episode please reach us through our social media all the links are in the podcast description and if you also need there are links to organization that provide support to survivors also in the podcast description as well but that's everything from me let's dive in Hi Ria, welcome to Talking Research. It's so amazing to have you here. Hello Asmita, thank you for hosting me today. Thank you. So to start, tell us about yourself. How would you introduce yourself in a way that you like to be introduced? Okay, so I'm Ria and uh, I am presently uh, a PhD scholar and a Dalit right activist. Uh, my PhD and most of my academic life has been uh, spent on researching uh, women and the feminist movement. and since i am from the dalit community my uh, query has always been around the caste question this is it and for my phd my expertise is also around dalit women atrocities and special laws around uh, the protection of this community right so i want to get into asking you how you got into researching the specific uh, you know violence against women and sexual violence so how did you get into researching this uh, and also your activism how did that start So yeah like there is no specific juncture to mention uh, to my journey as an activist like some people you know there's a moment when um, they suddenly realize something and uh, uh, they try to do their part to resolve a problem or be uh, a contributor to the movement so for me there has been no specific point of time that i can quote so it's like you know i've been raised by parents who are ambedkarites and also that i'm you know from the community so home has always been a place of learning so most of my conceptual clarity and you know this uh, you know facing the reality and knowing that what happens with dalit women or what happens with a uh, larger dalit community has been an everyday conversation in the house so for the work i do and the interest i have i think you know this has been inculcated in me by my family and the community 
so when any person is from community and you know your your, your family itself is a part of an oppressed group these matters are not mere interest like these are something that you know you're discussing on everyday uh, basis and you're also you know uh, deeply engaged and associated with people with whom these kind of things happen so yeah. you know it is it is sort of a reality and once we are born you know born and brought up in such an environment when we gain uh, education and certain skills we attempt to do our best for the community that you know it can support it so it's like i've been a part of this collective dalit women fight uh, informally informally meaning uh, i belong to dalit uh, dalit group so um, we've been in conversation because people these kind of organization they host events which are open events women coming from these groups so i'd been informally associated with them for years but then a uh, couple of years back i was uh, asked if i could join them formally so yes i started working with them formally dalit women fight is an amazing organization for you know those not familiar it's doing some really important essential work and i also wanted to say that uh, you mentioned ambedkar and for those not familiar br ambedkar was this amazing indian jurist economist politician who was a dalit man and he wrote the indian constitution and he did some path breaking work for dalit empowerment in india the next thing i want to ask you is and also very basic broad question sorry that it's it's it's, it's a, such a basic question but for those not familiar who are the dalit people and what do we know about their oppression and you know history of oppression in india so it, it's like such a broad question that if i go into explaining like the each part yeah. it'll take us ages however i try to be like a little concise and give you an answer that can help people understand so like okay people would not know who dalit people are but i think um, the majority population across globe knows that there is a, a prominent religion like uh, hinduism or hindu mm. so in this religion uh, it identifies like uh, four groups or four folds uh, who are recognized as citizens or who are recognized as people of some world so those are uh, those are seen as the hindu varna system so those are the groups where on the highest pedestal the person the group that has the highest um, purity or highest mm-hmm. um, power that group uh, constitutes the brahmins the second in the hierarchy who holds more power uh, are the kshatriyas the third is the vaishyas the traders who do the trading work and uh, on the fourth is the shudras who do menial jobs so dalits mm. are not included in these four groups they are put outside the hindu order so hindu order meaning this would mean that they have not recognized dalit groups as a part of hindu order so we are not hindus we are outside this order and our job is to actually do uh, provide services without expecting any kind of remuneration in return so even like the fourth uh, varna which is a shudra when they do menial jobs they actually get remuneration paid for the work they do for the upper three groups however these uh, dalit has come as a you know in terminology of addressing uh, scheduled caste people or the ex untouchables uh, in so uh, recent times it wasn't historically used as um, the word to address uh, the ex untouchable so basically what uh, happened to dalits is we can see that when they are put on the last like they are outside the order so their job is to engage with all the dirty work filthy dirty work mm-hmm. which no other four groups will do 
and sales mm-hmm. the work they do is uh, filthy in nature and it's uh, sort of something that no other group will want to do like manual scavenging when you know uh, you have to maintain this cleanliness there are no toilets and you have to then be a part of this group who will actually take up the cleaning work so this work also brought stigmatization to this community and they were deemed as untouchables that uh, you know even their shadow uh, was deemed as something punishable like uh, adalu should not even cross pathways with these four upper caste groups so this is how their history is that because of the work they've been pushed into that's dirty work that's a work that no other person given some equal opportunity or a better opportunity will choose to do so this group uh, has been oppressed and also been deemed as untouchable until 1947 so when uh, india got independence it is then when dr b r ambedkar had advocated that you know these groups have been pushed into these menial and dirty jobs so they should be given a right of equal citizenship uh, within the indian constitution and they should be given opportunities to stop doing this work and their free labor is no more used as free labor and they should be paid for their work mm, yeah and the context of this conversation is that right now in india there's we're all grieving the brutal cases of gang rapes and rapes against dalit women specifically in uttar pradesh in which is a northern state in india and you know there's been a systematic attempt by the mainstream media by forces in the mainstream media and political forces that currently rule to by casteist forces to erase the caste from these rapes and you know about that i want to ask you what do we know about sexual violence against dalit women in india uh see uh, i think the media and for the people who are not from the community you know this kind of a violence has uh, come out as a surprise or uh, they're able to see this as a really brutal because uh for the first time the indian media is actually covering a news for such a long time like they're back to back following up on this case however uh, these kind of cases are a part of our daily life reality okay so mm-hmm. we, these cases do not make it to the news or do not make it to um tv channels but this is not like uh, something that has suddenly happened post nirbhaya okay or post uh, 2012 the big rape case so this violence is also you know institutionalized in various forms so with dalit women one reason is that you know we live in a casteist and a very patriarchal society where anyway they don't see us like they don't see dalit women of any honor okay so it's like you you rank lowest in the hierarchy we are doing menial jobs we have double triple discriminations against us and then there's another force that they use which comes from their patriarchal mindset that you know sexual violence can actually put you back to your place so there are various reasons for it like like prior to independence per se sexual slavery was in practice in very institutionalized form like uh, devdasi uh, system so yeah. we still have a legislation but uh, we still know that there are a lot of devdasis that still exist in india and they are being you know sexually exploited by by the complete village who uses them uh, sexually and call yeah. them the daughter of goddesses so this is one institutionalized form however you know since there was a law that actually puts us outside the hindu fold and allows all these four groups to demand any kind of service 
So the sexual access over our bodies was also one of the service that these four groups were deriving from Dalit women and the Dalit community. So only in 1947, when we, we have come with like equal rights and rights for protections, these things have been put into some, some order, like, you know, if something like this happens, what to do? So these things have never stopped. However, we have these protection laws, which helps us to access justice if something like this happens. Hmm. So this is what the case is when we are to talk about sexual violence against Dalit women, that it has never stopped and it has always been a very um, accepted practice. Now the problem is only that how dare you resist something which uh, you, your community and you never raised a voice against in past. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think what you brought up about Devdasis, that's a very strong example of this practice because there's, according to the National Human Rights Commission, there were 450,000 Devdasis active in India as of 2013. But these are girls who are often as young as 5, 6 or 10 years old Dalit girls who were brought into this practice when, you know, uh, at that age and they're sold into, as you said, sexual slavery at that age. And this practice continues to this day. And the law enforcement often turns a blind eye to this practice because the Hindu religion is so intertwined with sanctioning this practice. So thank you for bringing that up as well. And, you know, you've brought up system, systemic failures of, you know, government structures and, you know, India is a Hindu majority country. And as we're seeing increasingly conservative forces of, you know, of, of Hinduism are, are gaining more and more mileage and not that any government in the past has been anti-caste since independence. But I want to ask you if you can tell us about you know, the systemic failures of government structures and policies that sort of exacerbate the problem of sexual violence against Dalit women? Yeah, see, like, in my experience, I walk on ground, I've been able to notice that, you know, from the scene of the crime, to the local police, to the UN diplomat, everywhere, you know, this kind of caste violence has been invisibilized. Even when we have tried to intervene and push uh, UN diplomats to speak about this, they are also silenced by the Indian um, state authorities, government authorities. So we, we, we think that, you know, the, the power is so much higher and it's working so much against uh, our concerns that despite we trying out various means that, okay, if the state government doesn't work, we, we reach out to the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court doesn't work out, so okay, we reach it to media. If the media doesn't work out, then we go to UN. But at each level, we have seen failures. So I can explain you a little bit more on this. Like, So, you know, uh, we did a study, like Dalit Women Fight, my collective, we did a study last year. Uh, so we do this every year, um, but we did an analysis of 100 cases of caste-based atrocities. And majority of these cases are of sexual violence. However, we have also incorporated some cases where uh, it's not a sexual violence, but young children have been attacked uh, and it's a caste-based atrocity. So it's a document of like a hundred cases. And I was able to analyze that in 99% of cases from these hundred cases, the FIR was not registered until and unless there was an extensive pressure from, you know, the activists or lawyers or ambedkarite groups within the village or that particular district. So when the victim herself or her family went to the police station, they, they would just tell them that, you know, they, this will bring disrepute to your family. This will also raise 
bigger conflict. You have to stay in this village. Why are you taking enmity from these upper caste people? It's just a rape. It's it's just a uh, you know dragging of a dupatta. Why are you making a, a big deal out of it? You know this community will make it miserable for you to live here. And since the community was uh, you know clear that they want to file a, a FIR, so they would reach out to various groups who work, and it's then when we could actually get the FIR registered. Then uh, post after FIR, there's another problem that you know the police is willing to file an FIR under the Indian Penal Code or Indian uh, Criminal Procedure, but they are not willing to implement the SCST Act. So then again, we need some pressure either from the groups or from some district magistrate who might be sympathetic or uh, some lawyer who's willing to take up the case that you know can proper sections uh, which have to be put here considering the case please take it like if it's a rape they will uh, put a charge of molestation they will try to somehow you know put the case bring the case to be a little lighter in intensity they will miss mm-hmm. out the caste aspect so at each level like we have to argue and push our energies to get things you know in a right order which are very clear the victim and the family clearly tells you everything but then we have to navigate you know on all these levels with these people then when we go to the court per se you know there where the victim is all alone activists do not have any uh, you know power or uh, you know any voice to represent our survivors that you know it's also like everybody does not have a language of articulating also because you know when you have restricted yeah. the access to education for centuries how will these women have the right articulation to put it in front of a judge that you know how this becomes a caste atrocity or how it becomes a caste crime so these kind of onus is put on the survivor or the victim's family that you know you justify you please tell us why it is like this mm. so this is another barrier then judgments like my my phd is on atrocities and when i read uh, the judgments from the high courts they are atrocious Like 2012 rape case, even you know, with Shaka guidelines, clearly had shifted the onus uh, from the uh, survivor to the accused. But when I read the judgments, they're atrocious. Like they're asking that why were you sexually active before marriage, or you know, hymen is not broken. All of this has been prohibited. Like they cannot actually discuss these thing in the court of law. But I have mm-hmm. read a recent judgment in 2016 passed by the Chandigarh High Court, which is quoting these kind of things. So and I I think uh, if you are in Delhi or you are in Bombay and you are an upper caste woman, a judge do not have the audacity to actually deliver a justice of this kind, and there would be an uproar in media yeah. if such a kind of judgment is delivered. But uh, nobody has uh, said anything or taken into account that how these judges in other locations are coming out with these kind of judgments. Then I will you know give you another example, and uh, we can move to the next questions. It's like. You know there was a massacre in Haryana, Milchpur massacre. So it was shifted to Delhi uh, for the hearings. So the Delhi uh, Sessions Court acquitted uh, the um, accused people. However, when the case, the same case reached the High Court, the High Court convicted the same people whom the Sessions Court has uh, acquitted. So we also see that you know one one court is giving acquittal to the accused and the perpetrator. The higher court is able to convict those people. So how do we see this? You know, a judge is a judge, and they have they they have a knowledge of uh, the same evidences are produced, same narrative is produced, same documents are there. But one judge can gives a conviction, and one judge acquits them. So these are the kind of failures that we see uh, when we take up the cases to the court. 
so there's a failure at all levels to you know yeah deliver justice and i just wanted to say fir in india is the first investigation report so when you go to the police to register a crime that's the first course of action that they that they make a report but you know in cases of caste based sexual violence or rape they, they, like you say like you say they often don't they often refuse to re- register a report which is you know the first level at which justice is miscarried there and 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 they as you say they don't register those act which the indian constitution guarantees protection to marginalized groups so they won't register the act as a as a crime under the scheduled caste and scheduled tribe tribes act so the next question i want to ask you is how can people who don't belong to the oppressed castes be allies so people who belong to the dominant castes and you know and and seeing as how there's within the mainstream education within mainstream media there's so little education on caste and you know how uh, this practice continues at all levels in our society you know when we go to schools for example uh, we don't read about dr ambedkar we only read that he was the you know he made the indian constitution but we don't we don't hear about how he, the other things that he wrote about all of his research that he did so i just wanted to ask you how people who don't belong to the oppressed caste be allies uh okay so see uh the the question of ally would you know will come at a later stage that's what my experience and uh my anticipation of things because you know i've been in these um, popular feminist movements and i've known these people so closely and i was also convinced that they're progressive and you know this could be one space where engagement can be made and i can derive something out of it when it it is about my query of caste but uh my experience is that i failed in this engagement and then from there when i you know introspect that what has went wrong so i i think see the oppressed group clearly is now like the oppressed group is jumping on the question of allyship however the question should be that since you are oppressing a particular community and then you are 100% sure of the means that you use against the oppressed people so it is so now nowadays the pattern is that you know the oppressed has to go and tell that you know this these are the ways that you are oppressing us mm. however i think the person who is oppressing is already aware because they are using these mediums so in some cases earlier i thought that there has to be some you know um explanation some articles or something i think i was naive that time i i thought that you know uh, engaging is a good thing maybe uh, some people just doesn't know that that they are oppressing the other person but i i don't think that uh, i still think like that i think that you know the oppressor is very smart the oppressor clearly knows that you know what are their actions which can actually oppress the other person or the other community so the first thing has to be that why don't these popular and uh, you know progressive groups like definitely the feminist group sh- and mm-hmm. also maybe the leftist group because they are they claiming that uh, they want to you know they are considerate of the caste factor and they are also sympathetic about the caste atrocities that why don't they sit among their groups and 
discuss openly that how they have been discriminating against the Dalit community. And once that kind of an acknowledgement reaches us, because I think I as a feminist has completely failed, like I don't want to invest uh, energy in engaging with any progressive groups anymore until they come out with an uh, acknowledgement and some, they can place something on the table that, you know, this is what we think that we've been doing. And it is mm -hmm. then when we can proceed because half of our time goes in explaining that, you know, what you did right now is casteist. What you did mm -hmm. right now, uh, you know, amounts to an atrocity and the other person denies it. So the whole energy shifts on convincing the other group. So I don't think that, you know, the other groups are here to convince anybody. An atrocity is an atrocity for us. So the point is that if you really want to be an ally, I think there has to be an engagement where these people engage with their own community. Give us a solid mm -hmm. thing which we can then discuss and proceed further. We cannot keep convincing you that your actions are wrong. That time is gone, actually. Like, we have crossed that time. And Dalit mm -hmm. communities, seriously, we do not have time because, you know, the work I'm doing is, um, technically, it's Lily, you asked a question that, uh, um, the interest question, that how did I get interest? I tell you that, you know, a person who's not an activist, who's an academician, who's a PhD student, a Dalit person who's a lawyer, we don't choose to research on this. It is so much on our face that we cannot run away. I might be an engineer per se, but since I'm from the community, I will still be raising these questions. So there are so many other people than me, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, like my, my field is gender studies, so clearly fits into what I'm doing, my work and my academic degree. But there are other people whose academic degree does not fit with this question very directly. But they're still investing their energies and, you know, we are a lot more capable of than just engaging uh, with upper caste people on the question of violence. Like, we cannot waste our life on just explaining mm -hmm. and convincing upper caste people that this is atrocity. We have the world out there. Yeah, like, I think we really need to also focus on our lives and uh, our aspirations. But, our, you know, we are always pulled back to engage here in these questions. You know, constant violence that's been done with our community. Yeah. Again, another broad question for you. What recommendations do you have for preventing sexual violence against Dalit women? Obviously, it has to start with all of us acknowledging all of us, especially, you know, those of us who belong to the dominant castes for us to really think about and educate ourselves. But what recommendations do you have for preventing sexual violence against Dalit women? See, 15 years of my organization's experience on working on sexual violence what we've been discussing and we've been like saddened by the fact that you know we don't want to say it but it feels like there is no end to this mm. okay like we've been thinking of so many strategies every year we'll come up with some plans but you know something or the other happens and we are disheartened that okay our efforts are not working out so i also think that you know there is no recommendation of a kind which can like tomorrow or in a year stop something it is yeah. since you know these uh, crimes caste crimes are being committed because of a vulgar uh, social attitude that the upper caste people have against Dalit women or Dalit community, this social attitude will not change by bringing in a policy or, you know, strengthening the act. Strengthening the act can actually bring justice in terms of, you know, holding the perpetrator accountable. But if we are to like prevent that this should just not happen, you know, this has to go, it, it's, a, it's a journey where Attitudes, social attitudes have to be altered. The thinking has to be altered. The public opinion has to be altered. And it's a long journey. 
and uh, i don't think that dalit groups uh, can be you know there can be an onus that can be just pushed on dalit groups to build a public opinion on these because you know public opinion is built by the ones who are powerful the ones who are dominant yeah so the dominant groups have to you know have to build a public opinion around these issues so that there is a change in the mentality like how post 2012 there is a change at least in metropolitan cities where you know you see young boys speaking up against sexual violence there are young men who are taking um, into consideration that how they should behave on social media so to the post 2012 you know these upper caste groups have engaged with men and also with women and they've been able to build a public opinion on the safety of women so similarly the dominant group should start you know building popular opinions and also a discourse around this and a discourse actually takes anything between 5 to 10 years to get established which which is which can actually lead to a substantial change so this is one recommendation like a solid recommendation that i think and the other one is obviously that you know you cannot ask for um what i'm seeing is like people are outraged and you know and they are they are uh, protesting they are also writing statements uh, when this case has happened but there are like two things which can actually you know people talk about that if you know you have uh, the representation of dalit women is there in judiciary we have representation of dalit women in police force so once a community is given decent and fair representation their oppression can be addressed okay so this is something that widely there is an um, acceptance of uh, this thing that fair representation can lead to change second there is also an acceptance that stringent laws can also help in tackling the situation however when it comes to dalit women the same people who are protesting right now object to both the things so fair representation uh, to dalit women and men can be actually be uh, you know fulfilled when reservation policy is implemented there is a policy already that how do we bring more people from this community uh, under the representation and the various systems the same upper caste groups will protest against the reservation policy when there is a stringent discussion on stringent laws like everybody was up in arms that you know rape law has to be strengthened everybody was there so parallelly dalit women have a strict stringent law which is called the schedule caste schedule tribe prevention of atrocities act the whole nation stands in opposition to this particular act so one way is also that you know don't give us like uh, the this this kind of you know seasonal uh, solidarity if you really want to be in solidarity with us these two uh, provisions one is the policy of reservation and one uh, the strict implementation of the schedule caste schedule tribe prevention of atrocities act there should be a public uh, discourse around this a positive public discourse that you know these should be implemented and brought into force successfully like you cannot put them as like like it's there but they are non effective they are redundant so at least smaller smaller steps uh, if we are to talk about that this is one of the steps that you know progressive groups can uh, support us with hmm hmm thank you thank you for saying that this reminds me that there's this a uh, british scholar professor liz kelly who's a sociologist and she made this continuum of sexual violence to sort of you know conceptualize how when we speak about sexual violence it's not that you know street harassment is less serious you know it, it is is like considered less serious than than a violent rape instead of that a more helpful way of conceptualizing this is that 
you know women when they go through their whole lives there's a continuum of sexual violence that sort of these different acts share into each other and if we look at them as a spectrum it it's a more useful way of uh, you know understanding a more holistic way of understanding how these daily acts um shape women's life experience and i feel like what you said makes me think that we need to think of uh, especially those of us from dominant caste we need to think of uh, we don't we should be careful of not seeing sexual violence against dalit women in a vacuum they're very much part of this larger spectrum of caste based atrocities that you know we sanction on a daily basis you know starting from microaggressions in our own homes to everything that happens on the streets so you know you're doing this work on a daily basis you're doing really essential work with dalit women fight you're engaging with all of these atrocities and you have lived experience so i want to ask you if any of this you know how how you how you balance your emotional well-being with your activism and your research because i can imagine you know especially right now when everyone is coming to you to ask about you know asking to educate us and that includes me i mean i'm part of the problem here but how do you balance your emotional well-being with your activism and your research it's it's you know half of the activists i tell you are all every time we're just feeling exhausted i tell you like even if we're not like exhausted by the work we do like not that the day was very packed however these kind of things just exhaust and suck up all the energy that you have that has been my constant feeling for years now like you know my mom would say that you know i've never seen you in energy like what's wrong with you like you're never fresh to go out anywhere like today sunday you, you know you're free but this exhaustion is it's never ending it feels like you know i i desire that you know when i get up like today should be a good day where i can be just happily i can enjoy and go out it just doesn't happen so there there need not to be any per se a bad news for me to uh, you know feel low about or get a breakdown but my work has made me a person of that kind that you know it's not going away from my life and that also also you know makes me feel a little bothered that i can't be like this i've got a life and you know i need to change things however you know parallelly when these kind of news comes up not the news in terms of the the media but we work on uh, the atrocities on daily uh, everyday basis mm. uh you know there's a breakdown with each case like people think that activists are like really strong people uh, we are fighting with the police we are fighting with the uh, we are media we are you know going and giving these strong quotes however that's something that you know we pull up our socks and we do that but when we uh, are listening like when like i i work and i help people to draft a fir when they are going to the police station and when i listen to them i cry with them okay like i just cannot have control over uh, my emotions and i totally get it that you know a survivor is sitting here and you know i am here to assist her i cannot have a breakdown but all of this doesn't work i see a news media i have a breakdown so it's like breakdown coming back breakdown coming back so you know resistance and resilience is something it happens on every day like every hour something or the other happens but we do not have choices like other people to be really honest like it is in past 10 years that a couple of um, you know a bunch of like uh, dalit men and women 
have uh, reached a space where you know we can represent our community and we do not need upper caste people anymore to speak for us so it also becomes like uh, a no choice option like we cannot deny or we cannot choose that okay i'll choose not to go here or i'll choose not to speak or write i can just you know uh, let things absorb and take a rest for a day we don't have that kind of an option probably uh, i think that in next 10 years we will have an option because another generation is on the way who's trained and like amazing mm. I, i just you know listening to you it's just i i just have a lot of gratitude that you're doing this work and i can't even imagine the strength that it takes you so thank you so much thank you but the last thing i want to ask you before i let you go is what is one practical advice that you have for everyone listening and we don't all have to be working in this field as researchers or as activists or you know on the ground but everyone listening what can we do practically to end sexual violence caste based violence or support survivors better on our own levels and you've given us a lot of different you know a lot a lot to think yeah. about but just one practical thing if you have any advice so mm. the most practical advice like so many people asked me was only this yasi when you know people are raising their voices and doing all of this 2016 only i think it is 16 or yeah 16 when this three bench uh, three judges bench came up with uh, uh, amendment in the scsp act and the whole country was protesting so practical advice i seriously think that you know whatever these affirmative policies that are meant for dalit so there are only two big policies okay one is reservation which upper caste people have a problem with one is scsp act the say the upper caste people have the problem with the same thing again these two things if you know people can build a positive public opinion that a lot of dalit the upper caste groups are in favor of these two things this is the quickest and the simplest you know uh, way to tackle if we are to talk about uh, dalit women uh, in specific this is the quickest however see practical solutions here you now women are working in fields yeah like a certain kind of manual like these upper caste people come up with that is not something that you know is applicable in um, to us per se like you'll say that um, there are ways where people say that emergency contact you know or, or urgent mm. call list they did puts number on like speed dial there are things like um, carry a paper spray or you know always uh, take a person along with you when you're going out always inform somebody that kind of solutions uh, do not work for us to be very honest one that we do not have the technology okay not everybody has equal access to these kind of technologies and you know we we are The, these kind of solutions are meant for a different group altogether you know what you said is very very important that when we think of solutions we need to think about exactly which women we're talking about not just you know yeah. when we you know in the mainstream when we think of a woman it's a it's an upper caste woman who has access to smartphones or you know to to emergency contacts and also no see one is like during this uh, whole lockdown thing there were researches and people were talking so much about domestic violence hmm as much as the domestic violence was on rise the atrocities were also on rise i have not said on record anywhere because i'm still analyzing uh, the data that i've got from my uh, other states so atrocities were also rising but there was nobody who was talking about this there were special provisions made for women like you know you call the helpline there is a helpline for uh, 
domestic violence and women's helpline however since 1950 we have a protection law in place for scheduled caste there is no helpline there is no immediate helpline where scheduled caste people can call if there is some urgency also if we call the system is so oppressive and so abusive against dalits why will a police guy go there and uh, take an action people run yeah like they don't have vehicles they don't have phones they actually travel kilometers and kilometers to go and file a report but they don't file a report so i don't know if this works so they have a special uh, helpline during the covid 19 to support women the police is actually coming to your house to you know uh, take an account of what has happened when caste atrocity is a reality of a country then why was no special provision made till now like a helpline or when the country is in lockdown there should be a stationed police van or a pcr or people are on patrolling that you know they can keep a tab that there is no atrocities or crimes on dalit happening so these are some kind of things which are very normal which you know administration and these popular these you know progressive groups can think of for their own protection but when it comes to caste and dalit people they can't come up with these kind of you know strategic and effectful um, policies and schemes which can help the community so it is like they don't have the political will and they don't have this willingness to actually support uh, the dalit community otherwise people are smart yeah like we have so many things and uh, various kind of provisions for women right now in this country okay so if there is a keen interest in actually preventing an atrocity to happen on dalit women or a man or a child collectively there could be extremely brilliant policies that can be brought out but nobody is interested it seems like thank you for you know highlighting that and what you said about domestic violence and caste based violence during the lockdown i think that's i i agree i haven't heard of anyone talk about caste based atrocities yeah. dude i've heard a lot of conversation on domestic violence during the lockdown but mm. um yeah thank you for that that was so important but that brings us to the end and th- i'm so grateful that you know i you made time for this and i'm really very grateful for all the work that you're doing it's i'm really sorry that you have to do this work i wish there was no need but i'm really grateful that you know we have people like you who do this every day so thank you so much riya thank you thank you